to make sales social, you have to be so impossible, so repeatable that people want to talk about you after you're gone. And our entire business has been built on that. You know, we had a, we bought a stretch limousine with flames down the side of it. And we pick up our customers in the stretch limo and drive them to our office. And we have a tattoo studio. Or we had a tattoo studio built in and we tattooed our banking clients. And we made ourselves impossible to forget. And so our rule was always that our customers must leave our office and talk about us after dinner. We must transcend an office discussion. If people are only talking about their experience at, at work, you're inside the same customer. But if they're talking about you at home, you got your pathway to another customer. And that for me is making sales social. Welcome to the Making Sales Social podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join host Bryn Tillman as she brings you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Here is your host, Bryn Tillman. I am so excited about the guest that we have today. It's Rich Mulholland, who is the founder of The Missing Link, which, by the way, I think is the greatest name for a company, and the author of Here Be Dragons, which is very exciting. But He's going to talk to us today about how presenters can engage and activate their audiences. Rich, welcome to Making Sales Social. Thank you so much, Brent. Really appreciate you having me. I think this is going to be so much fun. Tell everyone a little bit about you. All right. Well, I'll start by telling why I started a presentation company. So let's go a little bit further back. I'm a Scottish-born South African. I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. I moved when I was nine to South Africa. And I'm a rock and roll fan. I'm a punk rock at heart. And when I left school, I became a roadie and I used to tour with rock bands. And uh, we didn't have work in winter because South Africans don't like going to concerts when it's cold, which I think is hilarious. Being from Scotland, it's always cold. And so I started doing corporate work and I went to my boss. I said, hey, we can sell to conferences. And what I quickly realized is that good presentations, it doesn't matter how good the lighting and sound in AV is. If the presenter was crap. It was crap. That was it. And I was fixing the wrong problem. And it's funny, there's a myth about, you know, people always say, do what you love, chase your passion, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And I didn't do that. 25 years ago, I started a business based on what I hated. And I hated bad presentations. And I thought somebody has to do something to make it better. So that was when I was 22. I'm 47 now, and I'm still trying to make people suck less in public. And it's still difficult because people still don't want to be better presenters, and it kills me. Well, I'm excited to dive into that, and we are going to dive into that. But before we do, we ask all of our guests one question, which is, what does making sales social mean to you? That's interesting. You know, for me, in the hierarchy of a presentation is... What's actioned is greater than what's repeated, is greater than what's uh, uh, remembered, is greater than what's recited. And for me, it's this repeated bit. So, you know, for example, I train a lot of professional speakers and I hate to say it, but I've never had to do too much sales because the job is to make sales social. You have to be so impossible, so repeatable that people want to talk about you after you're gone. And our entire business has been built on that. You know, we had a, we bought a stretch limousine with flames down the side of it. And we pick up our customers in the stretch limo and drive them to our office. And we have a tattoo studio. We had a tattoo studio built in and we tattooed our banking clients. And we made ourselves impossible to forget. And so our rule was always that our customers must leave our office 
and talk about it after dinner. We must transcend an office discussion. If people are only talking about their experience at, at work, you're inside the same customer. But if they're talking about you at home, you got your pathway to another customer. And that for me is making uh, sales social. That's fabulous. I love that. Now we're going to go back and dive into kind of your specialty. I'm going to start by asking you, what do bad presenters do wrong? Okay. So there's many, many ways that you can mess up a presentation, and but the, there is a few things. So the first thing is that they, they don't prepare or they prepare the wrong things. So they spend more time on their slides and their slide deck than they do on their narrative. For me, it's very, very simple. Your, your ovation is, end, is earned in the preparation and uh, not the presentation. So you write a good talk before you design it, before you deliver it. And I'm not saying you have to write every word. I'm saying you have to write the basic structure and flow, and that flow should be intentional. For me, it's very simple. You give them a reason to care, then you give them a reason to believe, then you tell them what they need to know, and then you tell them what they need to do. But just to show up and throw up based on what you put in your slides at the time you were designing them is a terrible approach. And it will uh, almost guarantee uh, to make you uninteresting. And then the, last, the next thing is, is that they think that the presentation is about them. It's not. And here be dragons, I say, you're not trying to tell your story. You're trying to sell your audience a story in which you now play a part. People don't care about you. There are two stories in business. Yours and the one that matters. And the one that matters is theirs. And you have to sell them that new story. And that's the job from a stage, not to tell your own unless you happen to be some motivational speaker. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So mistakes that people are making is number one, they're telling their story. I believe so. Yep. Another one. Is there anything like, do they read off of slides, right? That it's all slides. Well, no, I, first of all, so I think that you, a mistake people make is that they don't read their slide. So I think it's a terrible bit of advice to give somebody. It's a standard advice. If you read any presentation trope, it says, don't read your slides. Absolutely terrible advice. Always read your slides. However, have very little to read on those slides. So if you're presenting with the document and reading your slides would mean going through line after line after line after line, that's a terrible idea. But if you have a small, let's say you were bringing up a great quotation, you know, the, what my frustration is when somebody clicks through, so they get their clicker and they click through to the next slide, and then something comes up for your audience to read, but the speaker carries on speaking. This is like trying to read a book and watch television at the same time. What you have to do is you've got to control your audience's attention. So what I want to do is lead up to that moment. And I'll get and I'll say, you know, there was a great line by Duke Ellington. And as he famously said, click, we don't need time. What we need is a deadline. And then when I turn back to my audience, there's nothing left for them to read on the screen. They now know what I've said there. Now I can contextualize it. So what does that mean to you? Well, it means this. So I believe that you must any form of text that comes on will be read immediately by your audience. Therefore, it should be read immediately by you. I love that. Love that. Okay. So question on the preparation. Should you prepare like it's a TEDx talk where you've memorized every word that you're going to say, or is more authentic flow better, or does it matter on the person? Um, no, I think that you shouldn't. I, I if we are, Unless you are an expert at uh, rote delivery, Generally speaking, preparing like for a TEDx talk where you have every word and you have to kind of prepare most of your transitions there just because you're so time constrained and it's got to be so perfect. But actually, generally speaking, that's not what we tell people to prepare. What we tell them to work on is their segues. 
The most important thing that you can misdial in is how you get from concept A to concept B, concept B to concept C, concept C to concept D. And so if you know your transitions, if you know your segues from getting from this point that I just raised about Duke Ellington. So we don't need time. What we need is a deadline. But what does that mean day to day? How do you bring that into your everyday life? Well, you have to have a daily system. Click in which deadlines are important. How can we impose deadlines on a day-to-day basis? So you want to know where your narrative structures and how you're getting from point A to point B. And why that's so important is what it means is as a presenter is when you might get invited to speak at a summit one day and you're delivering a 20-minute version of your trademark talk. And that's fantastic. But then the next day you're invited and they've given you 45 minutes. Now, instead of creating lots of content, I mean, you may want to add in a few extra slides, But often what happens is if you just know your links, you can go deeper on little stories inside those links without changing too much of the format and structure of your talk. So you can maybe let this one little cool story you tell go a little bit longer. But if you're in a shorter uh, environment, then then you don't. But the way I would prepare always is start off with post-it notes, get your ideas out there, rate them about how important they are and how interesting they are. Because if something is unimportant and uninteresting, it should be out. And then uh, work out how much time it takes to deliver it and build from there. Well, amazing. I love that. So tell me a little bit about what it takes to get people to talk about you after the presentation. What do you need to do to get them to continue to talk about you? You got to surprise and delight. So everybody comes with an expectation engine. And your job is to hack that expectation engine. People think it's about exceeding expectations, but I don't think that's enough. If you go to, and I tell a story, I went to a five-star hotel and I got this incredible service, but because I don't have a, you know, I, my expectation at a five-star hotel is five-star service. Mm-hmm. You, if I get that, I don't come home. Now, if they exceed that, if they give me slightly fluffier pillows, I still don't, you know, talk about it when I come home. But if they do something that I perceived that wasn't their job, something that surprised and delighted me, you know, like there's one, you know, a great story about when I was at the Four Seasons about this guy who gave me an impromptu swimming lesson just because he saw me swimming in a pool. I didn't pay for that. That's something that's not their job. And that was something that I would talk about. Now, that's mm-hmm. the same in delivering a presentation. Looking to up your LinkedIn game? The Social Sales Link team has you covered with our LinkedIn Sales Accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash in for more details. Again, that's socialsaleslink.com slash in. Is It's not just about your content. It's also about your delivery. So people will often remember that one little moment. It's actually called peak end theory. So they'll remember the, the emotional peak of your presentation and the ending. So I make sure that I pack my core messaging near the end so they remember that. And I make sure that I have a high emotional spike and peak. And it might be something arbitrary that I've worked in just because it's a really good crowd pleaser. And people come up to me years later and say, oh, my God, I remember seeing you speak. You were the guy who told that stupid story about the ninja drip. And it's so silly because it's not the message, but I'm remembered. And they remember that joy. And that's who they recommend when they want somebody for their next big conference. You've got to have a surprise and delight moment in your talk. Well, as a professional speaker. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So what's the difference now that so much of our speaking is online between when I'm on the stage with hundreds of people or I'm in Zoom with hundreds of people? How do you teach that or or adapt that? 
the first realization for me was that something fundamental had changed. When I'm presenting to a live audience, I'm trying to hold their attention. Mm -hmm. But when I was presenting to a Zoom audience, I was trying to interrupt their distraction. So that's a different thing. My assumption when I'm presenting online is that I've lost my audience. So I have to bring them back in. So how do I do that? I will telegraph a lot more. So I might say something like, now, ladies and gentlemen, in the next slide that I'm about to show you, we'll sum up, there's going to be three rules on this slide. And I can tell you, if you just do one of those slides, one of those rules, uh, it will change you know, this in your life. And then what happens is they're checking their email and they're off to the side. Now they're thinking, oh, this next slide that's coming up is important. So they change back and they come back to me here. And then I show them that. Then I show them that content and I share with it. So I tell them often, I telegraph to them when they should come back in. And then I'll also draw on them from time to time. So I will ask them more questions. I tend to be more, I'll ask more questions in a a Zoom audience, and I'll also give them permission to engage at the beginning. So in the beginning, I ask a very soft question, so we can all be chatting. The where are you based is usually a very, very good one, and I'll share some little anecdotes if I've been there. But then I've given them permission to engage, and I say to them, everybody, I've got my chat screen open right here. I am watching, and if somebody says something, I draw on it, and I say, oh, thank you so much, Brent. That's amazing. I'm so, yes, that's exactly my point. And then I'll talk about it so that other people start wanting to engage. This management of human attention is different. The one is just, is just about making sure that your narrative is dialed in to keep the audience, you know, they will dip and ebb and flow, but you want to keep them up there with you. In Zoom, the distraction is too high. So it's about interrupting their distraction. Assume you've lost them and win them back. I love that. I never came at it that way. A lot of times, when I'm presenting, I'll say, if you agree with this, put a one in chat. If you're like, nope, not for me, put a two in chat. Like I'll do a lot of that. But I never came from a perspective of they're distracted. And you're right, they are. Do you ever as a presenter request that everybody turn on video or do you let them just be who they are and choose what they want to do? In facilitation, we have a strict cameras on. So if I'm facilitating, if it's a group of people and we're doing facilitation, and I actually, I mean, there's been times was one customer where uh, they weren't all turning them on. I said, guys, I don't, we don't need your money here. Uh, we need to solve a problem and I can't do it like this. This is like me arriving in your office and you're all facing the wall. So I'm going to cancel this now. And the CEO messaged me, I'm sorry, and please come back and do it again. But in an audience, I will say to them that it's a lot nicer and I will definitely ask them. I say, everyone, this is very, very lonely and seeing your faces up here. There's Julie. Hey, and there's, you know, Steve, thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to see you. Any of you who are willing, if you turn on your cameras, I promise you it will make you feel like you're present and it'll make you less likely to get distracted. And if you're less distracted, you get more value because your participation isn't required today. Your attention is. And it's easier for you to pay attention if your camera's on. So I'll make a plea like that at the beginning and I'll try and make a logical and emotional plea. And then a bunch of cameras come on. Thereafter, I've, in the past, when I started, I was trying to bully people into doing it. And then I thought, oh, all I'm doing is alienating my audience. If I'm begging them and doing that, so I make one big plea, and then I don't think about it again. And then what happens is throughout the presentation, some cameras will come on. And then when we go into the interactive Q&A session, I make one more request there and say, for Q&A, it'd be easier if you all turn your cameras on so I know who's still out there. And then I usually get more people then. I love that. There are different kinds of presenters. There's the keynote speaker and there's the trainer 
And then, you know, so, so what's the difference in the way that they deliver based on kind of the role that they're playing? So our trainers uh, in our presentation training deliver like keynote speakers. So we have a core belief that you should be delivering as the best version of yourself. It's, I've got a video on my YouTube channel coming out next week and it's on Toastmasters and why I sometimes don't enjoy some Toastmasters speakers. And I think the organization is phenomenal and I recommend it. But I find that they all come across a bit like, hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome today. I'm going to talk to you about, and it feels very rehearsed and overdone. Whereas what we want, and I think, you know, if there was a departure point for presenting, for who your persona needs to be when you're on stage, the, the, the visualization I want you to do is I want you to imagine the last time you were at a dinner party and you had all your friends around, the people you're comfortable with could be family. And you were telling a story. I want you to remember a time you were telling a story to everyone. And it's a fun story. You remember how you feel. And that, that that storytelling you where you were you were explaining what happened and then Uncle Mike came in and did this and everybody's drawn in and you're glowing, that's who you got to be on stage. It's you, but louder. It's the best version of yourself, what mm. you don't want to be. Because imagine showing up to that family gathering and saying, guys, I got to tell you this story. It was about Uncle Mike. It was hilarious. It was a cold, dark night on the 5th of <laughs> You're right. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody wants that. And nobody wants that in the stage. They feel like you're acting and that triggers their authenticity detectors. Which is the TED Talk, actually, right? Because so, the TED Talk <laughs> are all performances, right? So, so that's interesting. The, the one important thing, so we obviously use a lot of TED Talks when we're teaching because they're short and compact and readily available. The problem is the mandate of a TED Talk is to be watched, it is TED is kind of like Netflix. It's an entertainment channel. And yes, there's educational components for it, but TED Talks don't often, for, like at the end of a TED Talk, they wouldn't give you a, t- a traditional call to action or, you know, they don't often do that. And we must be careful when we mirror ourselves too much like TED Talks because the mandate for you presenting a new marketing report to your team or even a keynote speaker presenting to a group of executives is very different to the mandate when I, I've done four TEDx talks and one TED talk. And my mandate there was just to be watched more. That's it. And, you know, you want to share an idea that you think is meaningful, but it's, everything is around this one. Uh, they must think that I am clever. Whereas it's in every other presentation I give, they must do something differently. Interesting. One of the things you said that I just want to reiterate, because I really like that, is your trainer's train as if they're keynotes. And so the training becomes so much more entertaining uh, and so much more engaging. And that's part of what you do is like activate audiences, right? Like, and so- You know, my book, my second book is called Boredom Slayer. And the reason it's called that isn't about being wacky and crazy. It's that audiences are bored and boredom is the enemy of retention. If I am bored, my brain disengages. I, I go into, you know that, and you'll know what I mean when I say it, that submarine mode. You're staring, they're speaking, but you've kind of gone inside your own brain and you're thinking about a tweet you read yesterday. And they become like Charlie Brown's school teacher. If you remember that, and so what happens has to happen is you have to slay that boredom. If your audience is bored, it doesn't matter. Because a lot of times people say, oh, but I've got to present this content. It's boring. I said, no, you don't have to present anything. You, your audience has to take something away. And your audience can't take away anything that they're bored listening to. So you've got to be able to learn to deliver it in an engaging way. There is no boring content. There's only 
content delivered, engaging, potentially engaging content delivered in a boring way. I love this. This was absolutely brilliant, Rich. So if our listeners are out there going, boy, I want to be a better presenter, how do they connect with you? Well, there's a number of different ways. You're very welcome to reach out to my personal website. That's getrich.af. That will take you to my name and surname so you don't have to spell it. And also because I like the cheeky domain. Uh, you're it. also <laughs> you're welcome to go to I Need Missing Link if you want to learn about the business.com and learn a bit about the company and the programs that we have there. And definitely, if you if I could make a cheeky ask, I'm really trying to grow the, the lessons and training that I'm doing on YouTube. So definitely, uh, you know, getrich.af slash YouTube, pop over there. Uh, feel free to engage and, and chat to me on the channel there. I answer every comment and I would love to get the conversation going. And then lastly, LinkedIn is always a great place. I'm very active there. It's my favorite of all the social networks. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of those links in our uh, listen notes, but uh, and, and uh, I encourage folks reach out uh, to Rich, buy his book, and watch his YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe. Don't just watch and be a lurker. Engage so he knows. Thank you. There. Thank you so much. This has been incredibly valuable for everyone listening. When you're out and about, don't forget to make your sales social. Thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing, sales training, and social selling strategies that will set you apart. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.